Hi friends, Dustin here. We really appreciate that you listen to $2 Late Fee. But hey, did you know that you can also watch our interviews? Yep, that's right. If you head on over to YouTube and look up at $2 Late Fee, you can not only watch all of our interviews, but there's episodes of Territory Marks, our wrestling podcast, as well as all of our live events, like our monthly trivia contest. So head on over, hit subscribe, and we will be your best friend. Well, at least Zach will. He's much nicer than me. It's time for $2 Six Questions, where our patrons ask the questions and our celebrity guests answer them. To be a part of the fun and listen to archived episodes of the show, go to patreon.com slash $2LateFee and sign up today. We have a segment on our show called $2 Six Questions, where fans get to ask you questions. And it's kind of not rapid fire, but... I hope it's not too rapid fire because, you know, I don't think too quick. It's oh not God. rapid. No, no, no. This is take your time. Be thoughtful. It's slow fire. All right. Slow fire. Um, David Irons asks, and he's a friend of the show and tremendous writer in his own way. Um, in his own way. Of all your roles. In his own way. He's very tremendous. Yeah. I don't even not you know that. We, we love David. He's awesome. He's an interesting writer. Sometimes, well, he's a no, he's a great horror science fiction writer, but I don't know why. I, sometimes I fill voids of right. It was like you started going into a cliche and then you didn't, and then you just said in his own, like you, you were going <laughs> to say in his own right, which would have been good. In his own right, fine. In his Thank own you. way, um, and that's why we do this show together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're very smart in your own way. You're very, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the show, the says, show should be about your your relationship. Oh, we we go that we go there do. all the time. Okay. Well, actually. I'm going to catch up on it. I'm sorry I haven't done my research. No, this is it's okay. We did have research on you. This is so. this is even better. But but David Irons, David Irons, a writer, a phenomenal writer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he asks. Of all your roles, which one was the most challenging, and did you expect the challenges you faced? Oh, no. God, is this rapid fire? It doesn't that have That is to be. absolutely not a rapid fire question. Oh, my God. I mean, I, you know, I should have the answer on my fingertips. Um, God, they all bring their different challenges, you know? I can yeah. tell you one, I don't know if this answers the question but one that was one of the greatest surprises to me was a movie about baby jessica stuck in the well oh did you ever see that it was called everybody's baby and i don't know which network it was on but it was during the movie of the week period and um i remember i was getting on a plane to go to new york or something and uh, the director was a guy who I'd met who was a very good friend of Rick Rosenthal's actually named Mel Damsky. And Mel had seen me in doing a scene. I remember we were in um, Milton Katselis's class for a little while, or I was for a little while. It wasn't, it wasn't long lasting for me. But um, I was doing this. We were supposed to, you know, do a... Uh, a um, is historical character and I picked George Custer 
And I just remember doing this Custer, you know, I don't know where the hell I got my inspiration from, but um, did a little bit of research on it and then just created this character. And, um, and uh, Mel saw it. And based on that, he called up my agents and said that he wanted me to uh, take a look at this script, which was to play Robert Gordon, I believe his name was, was the fellow who actually brought her out of the well down in Midland, Texas. And um, and my agents, it was ICM at the time. And I remember them just, you know, you know, it, it, I, they didn't even tell me about it. And Mel <laughs> called me up when I was on the plane. I was about to get uh, go to New York or something like that. And he said, I don't know if you know this, but your agents just turned down this script. What? So why don't you give it a read? What? And I wow. did. And uh, and I called him back immediately and I said, I would love to do this, you know? Um, It was really, uh, I mean, I guess you could say it was a challenge. I mean, physically it was certainly a challenge because we were recreating that claustrophobia. Um, Mm, Yeah. But, and then also, you know, the way they wrote it, I don't know if this was the case, but I think it was that he, there were several attempts to get her out and, and yeah. he was actually picked off the EMT team because he was this skinny pole of a guy. And he went down into the hole. And the first time he went in, he couldn't get to her. He was like, you know, and they built this fantastic set that was, you know, these little set pieces where, you know, once you put the camera into it, you couldn't tell, you know, that it was on a stage. And it was just brilliant the way they did it. And you had to kind of create this, this, you know, the fourth oh, wow. wall up here. And oh, just like, God. you know, really the contortion of the body and everything. And getting yeah. this, this little baby out. And I remember there were two twin girls that were on the set. And um, by the time we got her out, I mean, her tears were real, you know. And I was holding yeah. this baby and just, you're going to be okay, you know. And this story about Robert Gordon is just heartbreaking because I believe that's his name. I hope that's his name. But um, after the notoriety, 15 minutes of notoriety on the cover of Time magazine and on all of the newscasts and everything, his life just was totally changed forever. Hmm. And he ended up uh, alienating everybody at the fire department oh, going and living with his mother in a trailer somewhere outside of midland in texas wow. and then eventually went out with the shotgun in the backyard and oh no him. oh gosh yeah and i remember and i Ro- actually robert o'donnell I, was what's it, that was it robert robert o'donnell was it robert o'donnell thank you very much yeah God, i'm glad you're here i need a fact checker just walking around with me <laughs> Thank you for that's what that. We do. Where did Robert Gordon come from? But Robert O'Donnell, I'm sorry, I haven't done him justice by forgetting his name. But it's all good. Wow, man, um, that was that's a hor- horrible ending to a beautiful. Oh yeah, and person. you know, and I got a chance to talk to him because I wanted to just kind of get a little bit of a sense. So I did talk to him on the telephone, and uh, heard the timbre of his voice and everything, and. You know, and uh, I, I mean, I don't know. That doesn't really, that doesn't answer challenging so much. I mean, that's just kind of. I mean, I think it does. Um, 
it, it was a pretty emotional thing. It was Patty Duke and um, yes, Bo Bridges is in that. Jet, Bo, uh, Bridges. Bo Bridges was in it, and also yeah. who was my captain, the older fellow, uh, you know, one of the great old character actors. So lucky to work with him. Um, oh, Pat Pat Hingle, oh, Pat Hingle. Hingle. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Love that guy. God. You know, there's so guy. many great memories. It's really good, actually, to go down memory lane a little bit because I minimize it all. You know, I'm kind of, I don't know, I grew up sort of like in a, you know, I don't know, what is it? It's like waspy, like self um, deprecate or self um, effacing mm -hmm. kind of. You know, like you shouldn't take credit. And certainly Hollywood, that's kind of garish. And, you know, it's like, yeah. you know what I mean? And um, I, I kind of tend to minimize it all. But when you're reminded of these things, they were real experiences, you know? Um, I mean, there were some bad ones, certainly, you know? <laughs> you know, you ever do yep. those jobs where you just did it because... Well, that's all that's going to happen this month, you know. I feel like I feel like they never start that way. The uh, you know the jobs necessarily they don't start that way. And like, um, there have and, been a couple I've taken knowing full well that oh god, sure, it's really shitty, but I got to do it. I just you know, and right. and you, well. you you feel the pressure to just kind of feel like you know work begets work. And don't yeah. say no to things. I mean, right. That's... But it seems like your team at ICM had different ideas for you. Did you have a conversation with them after? Like, mm, no, I... I don't know. I mean, that was uh, that was kind of rare. You know, when yeah. I first went to ICM, it was out of Ruskies. And I remember that my Harris and Goldberg were the guys that I were with, uh, was with back then. Harris and Goldberg started Innovative eventually. But they mm, okay. had been Abrams, Harris, and Goldberg. Uh, and Howard Goldberg had come to see me in a play that I first did uh, with my sister, Season. Uh, out at the, you know, it was a little non-equity or equity waiver play out in California. And I had been bartending in New York and she had read this, she had uh, read this play and she was offered this part in a William Hauptman play called Heat that he had written when he was at Yale or something like that. And it was a good showcase as it turned out. And I remember her uh, calling me up at the bar that I was working at and saying, I really want you to come out and audition for this thing. And, um, and I, and I did that and it was just kind of ironic that a play is what got me started in Hollywood because uh, all these agents came to see her and a couple of other people, Ronnie Blakely was in it and uh, a couple of other people that had a career at that point. And um, so it turned out to be a good showcase part for me. It's very physical and I was drunk and I was fighting and, you know, and Howard Goldberg just like got right on there. And there was another guy from, uh, uh, there were a couple of agents that I had to, you know, make that choice about. So I really, I jumped that hurdle really quickly. I mean, and yeah. I, for I sure. know how lucky I was. I mean, that's a huge boost. When that is wild. Out, you know, 
Um, but then Howard just became such a champion of mine. But when Ruski's uh, happened, then I remember the producers saying, well, now you're going to have to go to a big agent and everything. And uh, he was splitting up with Harry Abrams at that time. And Abrams was calling me and saying, well, you're my client. Oh, boy. Yeah. You know? And then at that time, uh, one of, uh, you probably have heard of a woman named Connie Tavel who manages uh, people like Helen Hunt and, you know, I don't know, uh, Amy Brenneman and stuff like that. But um, uh, she was going to ICM at the time. And, mm. and she wanted me to go with her. And I was moving to New York to be with my girlfriend then, wife, wife now. And, uh, you know, so I went back to New York and, you know, I didn't work for the first year I was there. Didn't work. Went to ICM wow. and they they sent me out to meet all these directors on movies. And I wasn't ready, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and and then I hooked up with Lee Brillstein, who was the head of uh, TV at, at ICM. And she she was great, you know. So that became my world. Uh, I don't know. It was always, I always, it, you know, I, I admit I made that decision based on what I thought I should do and the glam of the mo movement and all that stuff, you know. But everybody was doing, it yeah. was just, like, you, you know, everyone was just frowning on TV and yeah. saying no to screen tests. And like that, that was what I right. did. Yeah. We're we're familiar with the with the stigmas of the eighties in Los Angeles, particularly okay. like how yeah. um you know, Jay Zoo Garcia emphatically trying to talk Woody Harrelson out of going to an audition for Cheers. Yeah. You know, right. like like <laughs> like don't yeah. do TV. It's gonna you know it's gonna kill you. Yeah, it's gonna you kill know? you. Right. I know. And, you know, I mean, you look back on that now, I, yeah, for some reason, I just saw some clips of him and that, and he was a youngster and I, but I was in a class with him too, uh, for a little while. And I remember him being pretty, you know, pretty electric, mm -hmm. you know, he was just somebody that was fun to watch, you know? So, you know, I guess the point there is that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And right. I, didn't, I think Alec Baldwin started out on some soap opera, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He yeah. did. You know, look at look at Bruce Willis, what he did with his career on Moonlight. Right. So, right. Oh, I know. I mean, and what you know. would we do for that now? I remember when I got back exactly. from Australia, I thought, okay, I've sold out this far. Why don't we just go completely whole hog? And I really wanted to get those producers to, yeah, I, I went to UCLA and I started looking through all the archives of all the Sea Hunt episodes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was reading all of Lloyd the Bridges. detective novels like Ross McDonald or, you know, the Travis McGee stories and stuff like that. And I thought, that's the kind, you know, like a gumshoe lives on a boat. <laughs> right. Right. Really. I love that. I would love to be that guy. Yeah. yeah. I'm not. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Yet. Do they have a 65-year-old version of that guy? Uh, why not? Sort of a, a more simple question, but the origin of your nickname. Ah, okay. Well, this is a 
unfortunately, I don't have a good story for this. Uh, it was my <laughs> father's nickname in Louisville, Kentucky. And my last name is Hubley. And there was a kid on his block who had some speech impediment and couldn't say Hubley, he said Whipley. And it got shortened to that. Oh. And so I've been dragging this name around ever since. I actually went to, okay. uh, I'm a Grant Jr. My father's name was Grant. And, uh, and um, I actually uh, went to a psychic one time that my, my wife sent me to because she thought it would do me some good. And um, the woman was this Israeli woman and she said, Whip, that's a very bad name. What is your real name? <laughs> Grant. You have to use Grant. Oh, no. You must use Grant because you, uh, must use Grant. you, you know, Whip is just, it's not a good name for you to carry around, you know. And uh, it's funny because it's one of those names that, you know, you have to explain to people. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I always wish that, you know, somebody had just called me John or Rob or something. No. Um, no. But the first time, oh, it was interesting. Also, I remember uh, when my wife and I drove east, we had Ajax, our English lab, in the back of the Jetta and all of the luggage on the roof. And we really just kind of wandered our way across the the country. Oh, fun. Kind of going in, driving, literally driving into our next chapter of life, you know. And we had sold the house in California and and we had one stop down in New Orleans where Ella was living and we were going to go visit her. But other than that, we really didn't have any agenda. We went to the Grand Canyon for the first time. We went to the Cadillacs and the sand and Amarillo. Wow. And, uh, you know, Ajax went and we discovered the Red Roof Inn where you could take the dog. dog yeah. And, um, and then when we got through with New Orleans and a couple of weeks staying with Ella, we made our way up the Mississippi. I took her to Natchez and showed, showed, cause I remember that as a beautiful place to work. And, uh, and then we went to Louisville for the first time. My father died back in 72 and, um, he was buried there, but I never went to the gravesite. So I went to the memorial in New York, but I didn't go to the actual gravesite. And so we, you know, my older sister told me where I might be able to find it. And my wife and I walked through this beautiful graveyard in Louisville, right in the middle of Louisville, I think. And uh, Ajax found the grave. Oh, wow. wow. And it was this stone and it had my name on it. Oh. Grant oh. Shelby Hubley. And, uh, you know, 1917 to 1972. And Ajax just went lay down on the damn grave. Wow. I mean, wow, I'm not saying he heavy. did that like on his own. I mean, we took, we wanted pictures. So, <laughs> but I, yeah. and so I have a great picture of him uh, by my father's grave. And boy, was that a cathartic moment. I was able to actually kneel at my father's grave. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's heavy. Yeah. Cause yeah. he had died when I was like just turned 15. Oh, man. Yeah, that's yeah. it's intense. That'll, I mean, that stays with you, you know, and um, that's a sense of closure that you yeah, really have. I know. Like, yeah. It was weird. You know, I, I, I don't know why they didn't want me to go to the 
graveyard at the time, but you know, that's the kind of family it was, you know, it's like, Oh no, no. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, basically all I wanted to do was smoke pot. Right. That's all I remember at that time, you know, that's, that's all you needed wow. at that time. Wow. Bro. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of fun when I was a kid, but you know, I can look back on it now and realize what, those years were like i mean totally the toll they take you know things like that and generationally how different that is being a parent of kids that are you know adults yeah. now for you yeah and how generationally how different that was way back when so yeah you know just it's it's we just in in some ways obviously not not in every way it's positive but in some ways there's so many good things that like Talking to your kids about dying and talking to your kids about these things. It's healthy. Yeah. It's healthy versus bottling it up. You well, know? my kids get on me look. about it because they know they're so much more enlightened than I was certainly at their age. Mm. And, well, if they went the new roads. Yeah. Course, so. And so, you know, they don't, they want to change what goes on from generation to generation. And I'm so grateful that, you know, I got sober back in 2015 and it really has changed my whole perspective on things uh, and my relationship with my kids and the conversation that I have with them and mm. the possibility that it opens up in terms of just uh, um, you know uh, breaking the the chains kind of yeah yeah way, you know you're preaching to the choir in regards to that preaching to the choir. So, right. um, my dad appreciates that. I've done that with him. So yeah. breaking that broken that cycle and we have a much stronger relationship because yeah. of that. So Good. anyways, yeah. um, totally off the subject, but next question is from Aaron Gilmer. Her question is favorite meal. What's your favorite meal? Well, I love lamb chops. I can't help it. Oh, I know I shouldn't. You know, they're so you kill. You're you're open to slaughtering little lambs. Oh, they're so I love cute. sheep so much. I mean, that's oh, okay. On. So that might be an interesting, uh, <laughs> an interesting take on it. Is that you know the the contradiction in that is inherent in me just as a person, or as in all of us probably. But you know, I'm really aware of that. I mean. All I, if you look at my Instagram feed, which I had to just put away, I had to take it off my phone because I became an idiot with it. Um, good call. Because yep. I have a proclivity to become an idiot with things uh, <laughs> that I get attached to. But, the, you know, I had to take it off. I mean, it does come back every now and then, and I cheat a little bit just because somebody might send me a, a, a message. But yeah, case my point, entire right? feed is bears and labradors and other dogs perfect but um yeah dogs is the way all bears dogs and bears and sheep and you know goats and my and ella you know every time i talk to her on the phone out in ohio she's got me in the background you know? <laughs> yeah right yeah ohio is like farm country that's right and there are always like pigs in her bed and stuff like that i mean seriously oh they, wow but um, I believe it. I just, I love all of those things, but boy, do I love lamb chops with milk. That's fair. 
that's fair. I don't judge. Um, not that but much. But I would say, you know, I'm a square meal kind of guy. So I would say a more accurate answer is probably like broiled chicken and uh, potatoes and and broccoli. Wow, you are. That is a American institution. But just throw the chicken out the window and eat your lamb chops. You deserve. Well, that's it. the way I'm. I'm that kind of cook. My <laughs> wife generally cooks more often than I do, and I do the dishes. And that's just kind of been our routine. Fair. We've been together forty six years. Outstanding. Congratulations. Yeah. That's wonderful. But we're going to celebrate our thirty fifth anniversary, actually, uh, this uh, June fourth. Uh, and uh, thanks to uh, Maverick, which I think boosted sales a little bit for the original, I uh, got this nice little windfall check that will take us on our honeymoon, I mean, our second honeymoon trip to Paris. Oh, outstanding. Oh, nice. Which right is uh, congratulations. Yeah. And, you know, so that brings up one of my other favorite meals, which is the entrecote, the uh, the steak frites. Love that too. Ooh, yes. And I love cows. So there you go. Cows are really smart. They're really smart. I don't know. <laughs> Do these these answers sound awfully glib? I suppose. No. 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 Are you kidding no. me? This is all good. This is all good stuff. And 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 this will air after your anniversary so you had a wonderful time in yeah, paris with those right, steak frites right steak frites <laughs> but no Dustin, what's no the next uh, you know the other thing is this is the first time i've gone to paris uh in 45 years so oh wow i uh, one of my favorite things was to sit in, on the sidewalk cafes and have a little pression demi of oh. beer mm. right and sit there and read a book and that will not be part of my experience. Because you're sober now. Yeah. And I've thought about that, actually, because that is a little bit of it kind of rings a bell for me a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the things I used to love about locations. I remember there was a uh, did you ever see uh, Tales of the City? That. Yeah. So that was one of my favorite jobs to do too and it took me into montreal a couple of times you do that with paul gross right paul gross actually played the character that i played before i played it that's right. named brian that's right. hawkins i believe yes and, yeah, uh, and you, paul yeah, that's right. uh is a canadian actor i think yep and he did it when it was at pbs and then i think Showtime that's right on. Showtime uh, took it over. That's and right. that's when I did it. Yep. But it was with Olympia Dukakis and Laura Linney. Yes. And it was really fun. And it was so much fun to be up there, you know, and and yeah. and, and I, you know, one of my memories of those drinking days was. And, and it wasn't that it wasn't an excessive memory by any means, um, but it was just being off, you know, when you go on location and you, you know, you're getting away and yep. you go and, you know, find the local place next door to your hotel or something. And, and, uh, just that sense of relaxation, you know, and, and relief and, but, you know, I mean, one of the great things about this whole journey of being sober is discovering where the relief really lies, you know, hmm. right as opposed to that, you know? 
right. and it, it comes and goes. Of course. Believe me, you know, but I am so grateful that I don't turn to that for that immediate relief. You know, I got to think about where else that comes from. Present, being present too helps, yep. right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I guess this transitions well into the next question, which would be, what do you do to relax and have fun? Okay. Uh, well, it's interesting. I mean, now I'm, I'll be 66 in uh, a few, a couple of weeks, actually, May 17th. And um, oh, nice. happy birthday. You know, thank you. Yeah. Um, I am kind of, uh, I would say I'm kind of, uh, semi-retired at this point and i'm kind of taking it easy um i meditate that's part of my it's a pretty regular practice for me um i read a lot uh we live very close to the beach here in uh, portland uh south portland actually so there's a great beach called willard beach right down the road from us um Lovely. My wife and I, you know, it, it, one thing about moving back up to the Northeast is the the winters, you know, and you kind of hibernate and you get the fire going and we have a fireplace and we watch the series on television. And last night we just watched a uh, a Netflix version of Lady Chatterley's Lover, uh. which my <laughs> wow. which my wife says, this is soft porn. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God, that's a term from the 80s, isn't it? <laughs> right. uh, but it was really intense. Like D.H. Lawrence would have thought, yeah, man, they really did. I mean, it is. It's supposed to be about that, I guess, you know. And right. uh, but these this I think it's a French director just really went at it. And I can't remember. Whoa. The girl is the uh, woman who played. um uh, Diana in The Crown. What is her name? Oh, okay. Um, and I don't know who the uh, actor was, but it was very steamy. Uh, <laughs> well, as as my son would say, that's a doy burger, Dad. A doy burger? Like doy. Uh, like, duh, yeah. of course it's going to be Lady Chatterley's lover. Yeah, You're, you I know. know, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen any other versions of it. But uh, you didn't see the 80s version with uh, Adam West. Oh, no, get out. <laughs> and Sybil Danning. Oh, my Lord. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling yeah, that would pale a little bit. Yeah, it's not the same. Um, but, you know, so I don't know. Did I uh, I mean, reading. Yeah, there reading you go. Reading is very relaxing <laughs> for me. And uh, and also I work in, in the shop. I like to build things. Oh, excellent. so I've always nice. done that ever since I was a little kid. And I got A's in Mr. Drexel's shop class. Um, and then I started, you know, and so I build. Uh, it's kind of a, like, default uh, way for me to make a, a buck. Uh, but what I love doing is building my own stuff, you know. So when we were living out in California, we had our, uh, we bought two different houses out there, one in Venice and one in Santa Monica. And I, you know, totally renovated them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so you're oh, that wow. level of That's building. Cool. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not just I mean, craft. Always, it's, yeah. Yeah. And now, you know, and then it's kind of like, as I've gotten older, it's kind of morphed into more shop work and finish work. 
So, uh, you know, I'm not really uh, built to frame a house anymore, but, um, you know, doing all of the finish work in the shelves and stuff like that. That's fantastic. Cool. I mean, you, you in many ways, you're answering a lot of the questions that I kind of had, like as far as, yeah, um, you know, with the, with the building aspect, you, you that segued into me wanting to know, like, yeah, what is something that you've built that you're very proud of? Um, that I've built? Well, I yeah. mean, I would say both those houses. I mean, first of all, the we bought a 1912 bungalow down on California Avenue in Venice, right near wow. um, Abbot Kinney, back before it really got chic. So we, the second place we bought was in Santa Monica. After we got back from Australia, we lived on 17th and Ocean Park, right across from Jams and Bob's Market. But, um, you know, that house, that 1912 bungalow was a little bit small for the family. So we bought it knowing that we wanted to extend it out the back. And uh, that was a sketch done in bed one night the wow. two of us coming up with ideas and then built it and that very was cool really cool i bet and molly and i have a picture of molly and ella in both arms with me and my tool belt and they were these two little bears you know in in a framed window and then that uh got put on hold for one movie that i did over in morocco for three weeks or something like that or maybe more than that, but Ella was 18 months old when I got back. Hmm. Wow. So, I mean, so there's, you know, great, it's, there are great memories and there are also tough times that I remember, yeah. you know, and there was a great deal of ambivalence with the whole thing. It was one of the things that kind of felt like once we got in the car and we started driving east, I really felt like, okay, I'm ready to let it go um, yeah. because of you. that. And and actually, you know, one of the first things that got me back into it just uh, in these last few years is um, there is a guy that was teaching up at the University of Maine and he has the Shakespeare Festival in Camden. And um, cool. he was teaching a monologue workshop and when I was first introduced to it, I thought, oh, well, we'll bring out some old, you know, Cassius or something like that. And that'll be fun. But then I found out, no, you're writing your own monologue. And oh. the prompt was it was during the pandemic and we were all shut down on the Zoom. And uh, the prompt was, you know, how did this shutdown affect you in <laughs> terms of being an actor? All right. I guess. Wow. And and. I had actually just started before we got shut down. I had started a play uh, by a girl named Claire Barron. I don't know if you guys are up on like contemporary playwrights and I'm not certainly, but um, it was at a very good theater here called the Mad Horse Theater. And they had asked me to play the dad who's dying of cancer and the daughter comes home. But the, the story is really about her and her own life and turmoil. And, uh, but it was just a beautiful play. And two weeks into the rehearsals, we got shut down. And oh, when I was uh, reflecting on what that was for this monologue, I suddenly, you know, I started to 
reckon with this whole thing about, well, how do I really feel about doing that work all of my life? Because I've never really asked myself. And I said, you know, actually, my first response was relief. I was relieved that I could just stop because it hmm. getting back into it brings up. I mean, I'm sure you have these experience. I mean, this, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, for sure. It's like a love-hate relationship with it because it is what sustains you, but it's also really difficult, you yeah. know? And having a family, when I was going off on locations and, you know, there was the resentment of that and, you know, you'd be going off working with some actresses somewhere, God knows where, and you had kids at home and, Sure. You remember the scene with uh, Bill Murray in the bathtub and Lost in Translation? Oh, yeah. When he, you know, she has sent him the box of rugs samples. <laughs> right. She's talking to him on the phone and he's hearing the kids <laughs> screaming in the background. Right. That just summed up. So, I mean, that whole movie summed up so much for me, I gotta say. Wow. You know, that was really a powerful movie to me. And I remember sitting there watching it with Ella for my second time or something. And I said, boy, Ella, this movie really um, hits me. And, she's, and she was very young. And she said, I know it does, Dad. Mm. So mm. she picked up on it, too, you know. It's heavy. Yeah, I know. A um, lot of pluses and minuses with it, you know. Well, I, I'm... I mean, I'm speaking for both of us, uh, honored to have you on our show just to talk about everything, everything, not yeah. just the, the flower days, as they say in, uh, raising Arizona, but, or the salad days, sorry, the salad, the salad days. days. Uh, I think that's Shakespeare. Uh, uh yeah, yeah I'll, I yeah. mean, I, I credited with, uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen, but, uh, <laughs> Give it to Shakespeare. No, I think he himself. he was the I can't remember what play that was in, but the salad days. I do yep. love that that term though, for sure. Yep, the so, salad days. Um or we're getting to the end, right? Yeah, we are done. Well, I think we just it, we probably need to just talk about executive decision from the uh, perspective of um, at the time, it was one of those movies. I mean, there's a lot going on there, but uh, Steven Seagal just kind of signed on for this. You know, he was your commander yeah. for a very brief respite of uh, of time. Was that? Um, I mean, I, I don't know how to how to concisely ask the question. Was it one of those experiences that you were referring to, where it's like you sort of know what this is going in? Oh, well, no, I mean, the overall experience of executive decision for me was just wonderful. Great. You know, first of all, it's the only time that I ever called on my ex-brother-in-law, Kurt, to, hey, Kurt. Okay. I'm in this, I'm, I've gone in on this movie three times, and Please I know help. you're the star of it, so <laughs> anything you can do. What that was the only right. time I, I ever did that with Kurt. And he said, I've already done it. I talked to Joel about it today Excellent. or yesterday or whatever. And I had gone in for Stuart Baird a couple of times and it was really, they were good auditions and I felt really good about it. 
and it was a lot of fun. And then with Kurt coming uh, to assist, uh, you know, I was like, I was really happy to have that job. Excellent. And it, and it turned out to be, I mean, the whole thing was really, I mean, working with those guys, Leguizamo and Joe Morton, who is a Montclair resident, I believe, Joe. Um, (laughs) Joe Morton is? Oh, so uh, good. And then Oliver uh, Platt and uh, who we love you know i mean all of those guys uh but i gotta say that like the uh the only time that i feel no compunction about bad mouthing somebody in hollywood (laughs) yes is steven seagal i mean he's like the classic hollywood dink story and i i know that's probably bad karma for me to say it's now but i don't there were so many times that i just thought if I had any fucking integrity whatsoever, I would tell this guy what I think. And then of course I'd be fired and I'd shoot right. myself. Yeah. But wow. there were so many times and actually Alex, uh, what's his name? The original DP on it did confront him one day when he had left us waiting out in the tarmac, sitting under the Chinook engines, all suited up, ready to go. And he kept us there for two hours oh. until stretch limo came out and right. uh alex who i can is a british an old british man who said i've never seen somebody act as irresponsible and unprofessionally as you and he got fired boom and they brought wow. in burgess who had shot you know uh um oh, you know wow. movies or something like that but who ended yeah. up using a steady cam a whole lot more but yeah, I mean, just in general, I mean, it was so much fun. We got to uh, train down in Fort Bragg uh, for that, and you know, those are the those are the memories that I have that are really powerful uh, and fun. You know, I mean, they're not just like I'm not trying to sound heavy about it. It was like it no, was no. just goofy fun too. It, well, that's a great way to sum up it. that movie. It's goofy, fun. It's, you know, there's, I personally love Executive Decision. I love that you're in it. Um, it's great to see Steven Seagal's head get caved in, so to speak, as, he, as he exits. Uh, so, yeah. You know, his head was supposed to explode. They actually had a whole <laughs> set piece they were going to do that's on awesome. his head decompressing. And he didn't want to because it made him look bad. Oh, of course. It, of course. Of course it would have. Jackass. Wow. Uh, This has been awesome. Take care. Have a glorious day. I will. Love it. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 